0: Our prayer is that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power.
1: Good afternoon, ladies, and welcome to Strength to Strength Sisters. The vision of Strength the Strength Sisters is to encourage women to be catalysts in advancing the kingdom through biblical teaching, testimonies of faithful women, and thought-provoking discussions. After this talk today, we will have a question and answer session, and we would love if you would pipe up and join in in that discussion, have your questions ready for Carol, and and be ready for some thought-provoking discussion. I am happy to welcome Carol Nisley today to speak for us on Cultivating Meaningful Relationships with Our Daughters. I have never personally met Carol, but was very inspired by my phone conversation with her. Carol's home is in the corner of southeastern Kansas. She and her husband, Stan, have um, been married for 28 years, and she has two daughters, Hannah and Catherine. So we are just really looking forward to what you have to share today, Carol. And may God bless you as you speak. So let's have a word of prayer. And then, Carol, you just feel free to go ahead after prayer. And when you're done with your talk, then I'll open the question and answer session. Let's pray. Thank you. Lord, again, we lift our voices to you and are asking for a blessing on Carol. We're asking for. The soil of our hearts to be soft and cultivated. Whether we're daughters or mothers, we're both. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. May your kingdom grow through your women today, Lord, and may may new seeds of faith, new seeds of of ideas and and then. Action off the end of our hands, Lord. So we're asking for your Holy Spirit on Carol today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Doreen. I have been anticipating this time and also uncertain about all that should be said and what should be left out. I would enjoy meeting all of you and hearing your stories of God's faithfulness in your home, your personal lives. I would welcome balancing comments and um, correction of things that I say. My intent is to encourage you by the examples I give, not to look put together. Um, I don't know if you read the the blurb that I had put out there. I won't be able to cover all the points equally, but things that I want to address today are some healthy relational patterns and anchors for our souls in stormy seasons. I have four main points uh, that I tried to develop. Mothers are daughters. Mothers are moms. Mothers shape family culture. And mothers grow women. So to begin, it's a little more theoretical, but I think foundational to cultivating any meaningful relationship is understanding the fatherhood of God. And after I speak about that, I would like to um, also remember that we are shaped by the families into which God has put us. So first of all, my identity really rests with what God says, with who he is. When I was a a child, especially in speaking with my parents' friends, I would address myself or introduce myself as Christy's Carol. My father's name was Christy. And then when I married at 30, I became Stan's Carol. But underneath and all around this is the understanding that I am God's Carol. This is an unshakable foundation upon which all my need for belonging and identity can safely rest. When parents die, we still have a father. If a husband is lost to death or disloyalty, I still have someone who claims me as his own. In any loss of the familiar, I have a place to belong and to call home, and that is the heart of God. When children marry or move away, we still have family because our primary identity is rooted in the unshakable character of God. Nothing can move me from that. And in the weakness of old age, I still have something to give, to contribute, because I can still pray for God's family. So, I would point you in your understanding of mothering to begin with, who is your father? Then out of that, you can understand who you are. Second, in in seeing mothers as daughters, I think it's necessary that we have a clear-eyed view of our family of origin. To name family strengths is not arrogant but it promotes gratitude when i look at what i've been given likewise to name family weaknesses is not disloyal or disrespectful it's humble and truthful and we we all have both both the strengths and the weaknesses if you want to build on the strengths you were given and leave behind the weaknesses modeled for you You must name what they are. So have a clear eyed view of where you've come from. These questions might help you to kind of um, direct your thinking to, as you look at your family of origin. What have you been taught to prize, to fear and to love? In the last several years, a dear friend of mine who has a wonderful relationship with her mother from a healthy family, um, just a good childhood all around, her perspective as an adult and as a grandmother now, she said, I dearly love my mother. But she would often say, what will people think? That's what I mean, this adult mother This adult woman is looking back and saying, this was part of the weakness that I was given. I want to choose something different. It's not disrespectful, it's just honest. So to reiterate, we're daughters. We are first God's daughters. Let's operate out of that identity. Second, we grew up in imperfect families. Let's name the strengths and weaknesses and seek to love the right things in the right order. Point two, mothers are moms. What is the goal in your mothering? As a young mother, I caught on. I don't have a mission statement or a clear, simple goal. And so I started thinking and praying, what should it be that my goal is in my mothering? And I came up with this simple statement to reflect the heart of God in my mothering. This, of course, points me back to knowing who he is. It's also very broad, and so it can be um, uh, sharpened in different areas. Now we are kind of a household of adults, and now I'm learning from my daughters. And my goal is more to discover together the heart of God. So it's still a simple, overarching goal for my mothering. I would offer you that as a good tool for for gaining clarity in your mothering. And particularly in discipline and in times of pressure, when there is far more than you can get done. Remember, what's the goal? Oh yes, it's not housekeeping. It is reflecting the heart of God. What's important to him in this situation? I also think that, Focusing on what you can do might be especially valuable for those of you who are parenting alone because you're a widow or an unwed mother or your husband has left the family or is not walking in the light because you want to focus on what you can do, not on what you don't have. And so a simple goal for your mothering. Now the next section is just kind of a random collection of my philosophies and perspectives. And I hope to point you to healthy relational patterns in different stages of motherhood Um, in an effort to keep things simple. I hope I haven't erred into simplistic um, labels, but I wanted to give um, small words that you can hang on to. I have uh, broken mothering down into three um, three seasons, I guess, mothering small children, mothering adults, uh, mothering adolescents, and mothering adults. Now, some of you get to do all three at the same time. For each stage, I offer you an overarching goal, a thought on comforting our children, and an idea for questions. Let's go now to mothering small children. The goal I would suggest is obedience. And I see obedience as having more than one stage. We begin with the fear of punishment, just the, no, respecting boundaries. We also offer them reward for jobs well done or for obedience, timely obedience, But the real target is teaching our children to obey for love's sake, because they want to please us, because they intend to honor. So that's always the target. And I would say use one and two to get to three. If they don't have the desire to please you, you have to step back to rewarding and punishing, but with time, and this will not be so much in the small children's stage as later in adolescence and adulthood, you'll see the deep joy of obedience for love's sake, where they want to do what you want them to do. Mom, what shall I do next? That is, That's a really fun thing when they get there. So the goal, obedience. In comforting your children, your small children, please be gentle. My mother would say to me when I had a small scrape, oh, that will heal before the cat lays an egg. She said it in Dutch, but by this she acknowledged my pain, but she also said, get over it, it will pass. I think that's a good balance to strike, but be gentle when they need to be comforted. and. Question and answer is quite easy with small children. You do get tired of offering answers, but it's easy. They ask questions, you give answers. It's not complex. Mothering adolescents can be more challenging. I would say here the goal is guidance. I feel it is really valuable for us to learn to create space for children to make, for adolescents to make mistakes, on moral decisions uh, as to what color they wear or uh, things that are of small consequence if they have no place to practice decision-making when they're adolescents. How do they do that in adulthood? This is hard work to step back, hold still and be quiet while you watch them make a mistake. But think of how much easier it is when they are adolescent than when they are adults making um, life and death or decisions of significant moral consequence. My mother would say, let your conscience be your guide. And I didn't like that because it meant I had to think, I had to weigh what I was going to do. But I think that's wise to, at certain points, give them that space. I would say too, be alert to your fear of their failure. If the reason for our mothering is to look good, we are going to generate a lot of reaction and resistance and really we won't succeed. head back to the foundational truth of whose you are and let that help you to guide your adolescence. On comforting adolescent children, I would say be present. Be a sane and sensible presence in their storms. I remember the touchy prickly feelings of teen years. And I think it's really, Valuable to um, to still offer ourselves in genuine friendship to our children, even when they're prickly and sassy. I like the the image of the Pacific West Coast, where there are large um, cliff outcroppings or just big stones, and you the breakers rush in and throw themselves with all their spray and thunder, and the rock is unmoved. It's true that rock wears down with the abrasion of the water over the passage of centuries. But that image for me portrays the wisdom of being unmoved when your children are having a storm. It's not that you're unfeeling, but you are not shaken because you know who your father is and you know what success really is. And that is, I choose my response. So be a sane and sensible presence in their storms. Questions and answers for adolescents. They are forming their sense of self and they challenge your answers. I would say, learn to ask them questions. That helps them guide, it helps you to guide them to thinking on their own, which is what you want them to do in adulthood. So learn to ask them questions. Now on to mothering adults. I think the goal here is fellowship. We can only invite our children to fellowship around the goodness of God and walking in the light together. This is not something we demand, but this this we invite. And the farther that our children are from walking in the light, the greater the tension we feel but I still think we want to invite our children, not just to us, but to meet around the goodness of God. Respect your adult children's decisions. What I have tried to do in marriage and I think did better there than with our daughters is to express my concern clearly without a truckload of emotion, which can actually be a form of force. Say it once and then pray and pray and pray. And hold your mouth while God works. I think when we pray, God works. On comforting our adult children, I would say be available. But remember, you are mom, you are not God, and you cannot fix the situation. Point them and their need and their questioning to God, beyond you, certainly be available, but point them to God. And for those of us given to anxiety, I ask, how will our children learn to hear the voice of God if we are always advising and directing and comforting and correcting? Let there be silence and space in which they practice hearing God. I think that is where the true comfort is going to be. So let's help them get to that rather than assuming that we must comfort them. Questions and uh, and answers in adulthood. Secondhand answers are rarely tasty. Therefore, let us learn to listen. Listening well to our adult children and listening without answering or before answering, I think will yield the peaceable fruit of them coming around to the point of saying, so mom, what do you think? Then you have an open door and an open heart ready to receive what the Lord gives you. This is my ideal. I do not always practice this, but I'm trying to learn to listen before I answer. So to review mothers are moms, the goals begin with obedience for small children, move to guidance for adolescents, aim for fellowshipping around truth and light and goodness with your adult children. In comforting, be gentle, be present, be available. Regarding questions, children ask, you answer. Adolescents challenge, you question them, gently. Adults practice listening before answering. But mostly mothers, let's remember who our father is. Think of how he interacts with us and let our mothering flow out of that at every stage. So mothers are daughters, mothers are moms. Mothers shape family culture. Our daughters are 17 and 24 and I'm just waking up to the power of family culture. What will our children inherit in the way of values and memories? Especially if you're homeschooling, the sheer number of hours your children are under your influence means that you are a major player, a significant shaper in your family culture. We must look squarely at what we as mothers prize, fear and love if we are going to direct them toward the Lord. This section begins with personal reflection then I have comments on the balance of work and play, and third, my personal vision. I mentioned in the blurb that was posted some of the heirloom pieces that I inherited. This was in my mother's cupboard for many years. It's We called it the Bluebird China. It's a Homer Laughlin piece. I think it was her mother's wedding gift from from her parents. So however many grandmothers that would be. That's one precious piece for me. Um, beginning with personal reflection. What I was given in family and church and community culture, I picked out two treasures, especially the first Trust was offered, and the second, education and Bible memory were valued. Trust was offered to me. It was not, you reach a certain standard and then we will trust you. Um, And this might be controversial. I'm not saying that everyone needs to to agree with me on this. But in my family, I was not given a curfew. This was a place where I sometimes made a mistake. And it was, I don't have a lot of regrets. I was just foolish. But trust was offered. I was also a signer on dad's farm account from age 14 until after we married. Um, He just trusted me with his money, with his farm equipment, with his things, This understanding was deeply formative. The understanding that I'm trusted. It didn't consciously register until decades later. What a gift that was to be trusted. It makes a child want to grow up and be worthy of trust. And the second treasure that I would say has shaped my life most significantly is education and Bible memory. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, there were two young women in our church who hosted a Bible memory club. It was actually built around um, RBC, which is, a, I believe, a Baptist um, Bible memory effort. But they hosted that, and my family picked up on chores so that I could go, and a friend gave me a ride home. Now, I have to acknowledge that a lot of it was maybe not noble in um in my motivations, I was very sociable and it was something to do and I was good at it. And so it was a place to shine. So those are ignoble, but it was still a place where the scripture, I memorized 300 verses one year, I don't know how many the next, it was those that are in there. That was a gift. In high school, uh, my parents sacrificed so that I could go And there was at least two Bible memory passages per month. And those are in there. I I see them as kind of a toolbox out of which the Holy Spirit works with me every day. And when I'm in church, I know what's in James Duke because I've memorized that. It's far more difficult now, but those gifts of Bible memory and the education, I mean, even things like the presentation skills for now, um, composition and understanding to u- how to use words well. These are gifts that I, I can now employ for the kingdom. And so through them, I have been equipped for service as a believer and I am grateful and humble. So those are the treasures that I was given. Another thing that my mother gave me was a healthy rhythm of work and play. I think that the work of childhood is play. When we were, oh, I don't know. I think I started doing evening milking chores by age seven, maybe. Um, so there was a clear sense of things are expected of you. But in the summer, in the non-school months, um, in, our, in the forenoons, we worked outside and work together, and then in the afternoons, we regularly had several hours of discretionary time. I would often read or sleep. And then in the evening, in the winter, there might be family games. I remember dad playing softball in the summertime with us. It wasn't often, but there were those rhythms of understanding that we work together. And then you also have time that you can um, play, um, have leisure to develop what you want to. Now, how, I've ta- how I have benefited from that in our home is gardening is not my daughter's uh, love. And I find it hard to find an ending place. But when I instituted garden hour, they understood, oh, it's just one hour. And then we are done. There is actually an end in sight and they worked more cheerfully. It also helped me to respect boundaries set by saying, we have this hour, let's do what we can, and then we're done. So I offer you that as something that I think is healthy to give children both leisure and work. In my observation, too much free time makes a child whiny and unhappy and sour. And I would tell when the the girls got cranky, I'd say, oh, I see that you need some work to help you be sweet. Now that tone might work better for a five-year-old than a 12-year-old, but still the framework of understanding that work appropriately sized to the child is of benefit to them and it sweetens free time. Because if you have all the free time in the world, it's no treat. On the other hand, I overheard this from a teen who works at home. The only way to get time off working is to be sick. I was saddened by that. I heard from a friend, we need to practice sitting on the porch and doing nothing. This was in the context of a man in his nineties who cried. Regularly, because he had nothing to do. And in observing this, the response is oh, we need to practice understanding that we are human beings, not just human doings. How does it look in old age if you build your sense of value on productivity and accomplishment and action? How does it look in a wheelchair? I don't think it looks very pretty. But if we can prepare ourselves by a healthy balance between work and recreation, rest, leisure, and real strenuous effort, then we will be better equipped for, I think, um, for the age when we cannot produce like we used to. Creative play is important for the proper development of children. I don't think anyone would contest that. But I ask, does it stop then? I wonder. I think that conservative Anabaptists have been given a strong work ethic, which is so valuable. But I think it needs balancing with proper rest and the ability to be. we are human beings not human doings now still thinking about shaping family culture the, this is my personal vision the treasures that i hope my daughters inherit so here's the other the other great great grandmother cup it's an old grant it's the magdalena jones china is what we call it So two daughters and two different sets of old, used china. But the treasures that I hope our daughters inherit are, among them, these three concepts. People before projects. Prayer is the first response. And home is not just for us. People before projects. I woke up to this um, as my lack of balance. When I found I would rather be sewing Dolly clothes for my daughter, Hannah, than playing Dolly with her. I got tired of being told, now you say this, and then I will do that, and then you say this, and yeah, I just, I wanted to do it my way. And I understood I was choosing productivity, over relationship and it didn't that wasn't the last time that that was the way I operated but my goal is not to pit these two against each other not either I get my work done or I take time for relationships but how can we bring the two together how can we have our children join us in our working and we join them in our working in their working and I said work for children is play Do you join your children on the floor playing with them, entering into their world? Down on the floor you become their size instead of the tall one dictating how things will be. I think that that is something valuable to consider. Not either or, but alongside, people before projects. And second, prayer is the first response. I was really grateful when the Lord gave me the idea of beginning our school day with what we call girls' prayer time, morning prayer. We gather in the living room. Certain days we pray for certain things. It's also a forum where my daughters learn to pray aloud, more comfortably, and I ask often what they want to pray about, and then their concerns are woven into the rhythms of our prayer. Um, It doesn't have to be that formal either. If something is lost, just stop what you're doing and say, children, let's pray. We need to find the car keys. Just make it as natural as conversation with your neighbor. Then when they're found, you just stop and pray. It's just in the moment, teaching our children that the real help is beyond us, teaching them to take their need to the Father. That I really hope are treasures that you are building in your family. And the third, home is not just for us. Among my favorite Christmas memories. I met at the local Baptist church at a a meeting there. An older woman named Norma. She was just the age of my mother. Norma was an only child. She never married. She had a speech impediment and was difficult to understand. She never learned to drive. She had difficulty reading. Her world was very small and she was very lonely. We invited Norma several times to our Christmas or Thanksgiving meals. And those are just very precious treasures to me. She brought her Chinese checkers game and we played checkers with her. And the delight in that older woman's face when she understood that there was room for her at the table. This is something the idea that home is not just for extended family or those related to us by blood. That understanding I wish would grow among us. I sometimes feel unsure about the priority given to our extended families and how busy we make ourselves doing things for the girls, for the children, so that we don't have time to reach out to our neighbors. To me, that is a loss. I offer you here an excerpt from a young woman's journal. She sent this to me. It was written after she watched a young family in a spontaneous game of tag. She captured well the vision I wish to convey to you for our homes to be open. This is an unmarried young woman and she says whether she marries or not, quote, I want some way of living and being and loving that makes a safe place from which people can go out trusting and eager and come back satisfied. A welcome and belonging that draws people into the welcome Jesus gives. Families are meant for children, of course, to give them a true picture of God, but not only for them. Families are for those who whose experience has taught them that life hurts. They are alone and the world is a deeply unsafe place. Families are for them. To reframe their worlds, to call out the hope they did not know was still in the secret corners of their hearts and to fight against the skewed representation of reality they have been given. By making room for them, fighting for them, refusing to leave them alone. And by that, to draw their eyes to the one who does this for all of us, end of quote. That's my vision for homes that are not just for us, for those we know, for those to whom we're related. Is your home open? Do you have time? for your neighbors. To reiterate, mothers shaping family culture. I was offered trust, education, and Bible memory helped equip me as a believer. Let's be thoughtful in our balancing of work and play. What heirlooms are you choosing for your family to inherit? Now, that was not so much about building meaningful relationships with our daughters as much as a vision for uh, what our homes and therefore what we should, the vision we are placing before our daughters about um, the, the family of God. The last point I have is mothers grow women. I admire the vision of womanhood set forth by Catherine Marshall in her book, Christie. Here she tells the story of her own mother who set off at age 19 to teach school in the hills of Tennessee in the early 1900s. Among the people in the story is a single woman named Alice. She plays a pivotal and powerful role in the spiritual life and physical health of multiple Mountain Communities. I recommend this book as a delightful story, but also because it portrays very well the truth that mothers grow women, that women grow women because Miss Alice was unmarried. Single women have a significant place in which to nurture faith in the church and in the community. You do not have to give birth to mother. So I ask you, if mothers grow women, on what does your understanding of the value of women rest? Is it wider than housekeeping and pie baking? What is your vision for your womanhood? Are you at peace with your femininity? How will you grow daughters who are secure and pleased with their womanliness? if you are uncertain of your own. And again, I point us to finding our identity, our belonging first in the heavenly father. Now, for a few practical suggestions on growing a a healthy sense of womanhood, followed by the imperative of personal dominion and some concluding remarks. It was suggested that I give tips on how to help our daughters navigate their emotions. But I looked ahead and saw that there's a panel discussion coming up that will treat this. And so I'm just going to skip by on this. Watch for that. An attendant point, though, is teach your daughters to recognize their bodily rhythms and to live in harmony with their bodies. For many years, um, I thought of PMS as, well, we know it means premenstrual syndrome, but I thought of it as pretty major stress. I've since concluded that a, a better way to think about it would be perspective may shift. Understanding that the mountain I see now might actually be a mole hole and next week it will be better. That is something you can give your daughter as she steps into puberty and experiences those hormonal surges. Help her to understand, oh, that's what I'm feeling. This is not truly how things are. I think this is self-respectful because they, they understand that there is a reason for the way they're responding and they can choose to, to respond differently also. I wish I would have developed more um, how to have conversations on sexuality. This is something I desperately wanted to do well. I lament the silence in our communities. We don't know how to talk about this and so we don't and Now, that's probably too sweeping a statement, but there is um, uncertainty of how how to point to the goodness and glory that was intended. I would say, mother, be the first to inform your daughters or lose the opportunity to set the stage for wonder and awe. Ask God for opportunity to speak naturally of the birds and bees. I was really anxious about this. I didn't know how to do it, and I was afraid I would laugh because when I'm nervous, I laugh. And then that doesn't seem very holy or sacred. But I prayed, and God was faithful. With one of my daughters, I was studying botany with her. And we had dissected a moonflower, which is a long uh, night blooming trumpet shaped flower. And down at the bottom is where the seeds form. And of course the pollen and all that, but down there it's an ovary. And um, so we talked about this and I didn't make connections to human sexuality, but it was around that time then that a friend and a hero of hers got married. And my daughter, after several days said, is so-and-so pollinated? Well, yeah, it's just so natural. And it was just seamless. And friend, God will do that for you. If you ask him, that might not be flawless because with another daughter, um, in an effort to, to mark her rite of passage or the expected rite of passage into womanhood, I took her out for lunch to purchase her first bra and menstrual supplies but we went to a restaurant (laughs) that was a goof I should have done a picnic a private place but it was still an effort to mark an occasion with honor and I think God honored that but If you don't step into the opportunities you are given because of fear, they will find out some other way. And I think you will be sad. So ask God for information that is appropriate to the stage your child is at because a six-year-old doesn't need to know everything. Um, The barnyard and the chicken yard are very natural places. I I just, I know, I remember we were standing at the backyard fence watching the neighbor's cattle. And I said, Oh, it's just a tube that comes out and plants seeds. That was all that was needed. It was so natural and no shame. And it was enough for the time. Please do communicate honor for our bodies and be as natural as you can, because God delights in this part of us. I think it was after the creation of man and woman that God said, "Behold, it is very good," and all of life, um, all of animal life, physical life, implies this reproduction. And God says, "It's very good." So let's let's join him in that. I would also say, mothers, when we are growing women, what's the most important curriculum? you are, who you are, how you live. That's the curriculum. If you need help to overcome shame, find help, seek help. This is self-respect. Tell of your own mistakes with candor and discretion because this can build trust. Your daughters will understand that you are not shaking the finger at them. You're just saying, honey, I hope you can be wiser than I was. I wish I hadn't done that, but move forward. I think those are ways that that equip our daughters to to embrace their womanliness and um, to not be ashamed of sexuality. Something that is a tremendous joy to me is now to watch my daughters grow in Christ. Because mothers, we are sisters of our daughters in Christ. To learn from our daughters as they follow him is a wonderful thing, very rewarding, can also be humbling. I appreciate so much when my daughters hold up a mirror with their words to help me see myself through their eyes. Comments like, well, mom, you always say that. Those are little mirrors that they hold up for us and we can benefit by listening with humility. So let your daughters tell you with respect what they see in you. And um, by that you're modeling humility and a teachable spirit, which is some of what we want for them. I'd like to speak yet about the imperative of personal dominion. This is something that is really growing on me. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve traded innocence for knowledge. And since that time, relationships have been fraught with struggle for control. We prefer to take dominion over others to taking dominion over ourselves. But I think that this taking dominion over myself, shouldering out responsibility for my decisions and my responses to others, that is absolutely foundational for success. If you, If other people are responsible for the way you respond to life, you are abdicating. If I do not take responsibility for myself, I lose self-respect. How can I command the respect of my daughters? How can I instruct them when I do not take dominion over self, over the flesh? How can we build meaningful relationships with our daughters if we are guided by the flesh, responding to the pressures of the moment? This has been a place of repentance for me. And I keep thinking, Maybe the best treasure I can give my daughters is modeling repentance, how to repent well, because that is all our lives long. It is something to be grateful for when we understand that we have failed and we can repent and change. I am responsible for my decisions, my responses, my eating, my devotional habits, my words. In every area, God has given me a circle of sovereignty over which I rule. And I answer to him. So in conclusion, I think the best way to say it is mothers, let's be the women we want our daughters to become. Our identities rooted in the character of God, knowing our father, alert to the opportunities and challenges of different seasons and different stages of mothering, balanced in our rhythms of work and rest, thoughtful, and creative about shaping family culture, the values we embrace, the things we have time for. And let's be confident in the value of our womanhood as blessed by the creator.
1: Well, thank you and God bless you, Carol, for your investment in this talk. Well, I'm not sure what to say. You have touched on some on some very tender spots in my heart and places that God has been working in my life and is one thing to work. I'm just going to read over a couple of your points here and then I want to open it up to you ladies to hear what you want to share too. And Carol will be ready to... To respond to your questions, I think some of my favorite ones is um, the culture that we create and get to create in our homes. People before projects, prayer is our first response, home is not just for us. And um, those are so noble. But even before that, this thing of finding our identity in God as women is um, is maybe one that I feel like I need to learn even more right now. <clears throat> but it was also good. And then another thought too: finding our identity in God. And learning to take dominion um, and re- um, over our personal selves. Very, very okay. meaningful to me. So, what do you ladies have that you'd like to ask or share? I feel like
2: I have a couple things I'd like to ask you about, Carol. And I appreciated, as Doreen said, this was very touching and meaningful. Um, We have four daughters and eight children. So I feel like a lot of these things can pertain to all the children. And um, one of my questions was. Your Bible. club. I'd be curious just for a couple ideas of how you got inspiration. I don't know if you have rewards or what, but to even. Learn that many verses so that's one of my questions and then the other one is if you've been raised with a very strong production mindset I feel like I've struggled with that for years like just mm-hmm. who I am my identity is how clean mm-hmm. my house is how much work I can get done and that was always it was just so much a, a part of how I was raised, like it was, it wasn't really who I was. It was what I could do. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I could clean the house. Well, I could cook, Mm -hmm. do all these things. And there was a lot of approval for those things. And I'm grateful that I learned to do those things. I'm so grateful that my parents taught me that, but I feel, I feel like it's a negative because I'm so performance oriented that I just... It's really hard to just put people before projects, like, struggle with it, and, yeah. So, I just was curious if you'd have anything to say about that as an adult, almost 40, who's still struggling with those things. I didn't get all of your
0: question about Bible memory, but I assumed you asked what Bible... um... What structure or format helped? Is that is that what
2: you meant? Yeah, that's what I meant. Just um, um, you know how to what kind of what was inspiring or how did you challenge each other? Was that? Well, I'm also very indebted to my sisters. Um,
0: the sister older than I memorized, she made it her goal as an adult to memorize the Sunday school lesson every week. She would take her new Testament out to the garden and memorize when we milked cows together, we had scripture, um, there and we worked together helping each other. So that was, it was modeled, um, but it's, it was also easier for me. Now, coming in, into um, how I did it as a homeschooling mother, I can send you the, the Bible memory plan that we used for our daughters. It is a six-year plan that they went through twice, more or less, in their 12 years. Um, and it's about 100 to 125 verses a year, mostly large passages. If you would like that, um, how do we connect, Doreen?
1: If you would share that to me, Carol, um, through email or WhatsApp, we could link that to your talk so that women could access it All right. or, or by email and we could pass it on to Linda. Okay, I will try to do that. Thank you. Um, your
0: second question, Linda, regarding how to change from a productivity mindset to a to treasuring being. Well, with a large family, you can't do that equally at every stage. But I would ask, how do you begin your day? Do you have time to sit down and read the scripture and pray? If not, why not? And that I know is very pointed, but I have learned to quit saying I don't have time because I have time for the things I love. Mm -hmm. Everybody has time for what's important to them. And so if we have to learn to let go of the things that are lesser in order to lay hold of the things that are are greater. One of my friends um, is a very learned woman and she reads voraciously. I said, how do you have time? You're a mother with small children. She said, I have consciously changed my housekeeping habits, lowered her standards of of temporary things in order to lay hold of eternal. And secondly, when they have guests, her meals are very simple. Rice, fish, vegetables, no fancy baking. And that's something that I'm trying to steer toward is just in order to lay hold of best we have to let go of good. That's very general, but I still think that is a guiding principle to move from measuring the day by what it got done to understanding that that being is the first thing. Our doing flows out of our being and then it's restful. Now that sounds very idealistic, but that's what I experienced in the preparation for this talk. It came at an inconvenient time in family life for us, but it was full of rest because God provided and because I chose not to worry.
2: Thank you for that. I appreciate that a lot. I feel like God has taught me that the first part of the day has to be given to him, yes. but um, we moved a few months ago and my husband's schedule has changed. So he's home in the morning. So I feel like a big challenge for me right now is to go pray. I can have my read my bible and such things, but to actually go off to my room and pray if I don't do it first thing in the morning, it's very hard to get at it. But mm-hmm. I love that idea and I'm just grateful and blessed for what you shared. I feel like there's not very many gray-haired, white-haired women in my world and I just crave, you know, to hear from women like you, older sisters that have walked this road and can give encouragement and it's just it's a tremendous blessing but i feel like like even the relate uh, lately story of mary and martha goes along with what you said you sure. know so anyway thank you so much for that you're welcome
0: i felt a little um sheepish about speaking about relating to our daughters because i only have two i do not know what it costs a woman to have a large family <laughs> um So God bless those of you who are juggling many roles at once.
1: There's a comment in the chat box, Carol, that I'll read to you here. Thank you, Carol, for an amazing overview with so many gems and deep, complex ideas that you shared that deserve further digging to unearth. What you shared had so much richness. I look forward to going back and listening again. Okay, any more questions from any of you ladies? I don't want to cut anyone off um that are still getting their thoughts together.
0: Thank you Carol for your talk. I really appreciate the 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 fall that we are as women are just the curriculum for our girls because uh that this give me so much um so much to think about myself and how I am and how I be as a mm-hmm. woman, how mm-hmm. I feel, how God looked to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it was very interesting. It was very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, and also the thought that we, um, uh, uh, I didn't know how you say that at the end, but that we we have to uh, be how we want our wills to be. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I will remember that. <laughs> Good. In Dutch, actually. But... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I have just found many times that we we parent out of our understanding of who God is. And the better we know him, the better we can reflect him. There's just... Yeah, there is no end to the learning of who he is and and all the goodness in his heart toward us. Um, One of the recent revelations for me was an understanding that when I feel this prickly irritation and impatience with my husband, especially with him, sometimes with the girls too, but often what's underneath it is disappointment with myself because I have not taken dominion Over myself. I have failed to follow through on what, on the goal I had set out. And just in those ways, God keeps revealing and keeps showing how we can align ourselves with Him. And there
2: is rest in that. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for your talk. Um, I have lots of pages of notes here. So thank you so much. Um, We have a question that came in through the chat box. Um, if you don't want to answer this question, you don't have to, um, it says, um, how do we discipline in this
0: verse referring to, um, sorry, why can't, I go down. Sorry about that. Um, let me ask you a question that just came in the chat box. It says, how do we discipline in this verse referring to physical discipline or he who spares his his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly." from Proverbs 1324. In our home, we reserved corporal punishment or spanking for serious infractions. Um, It's been quite a while, but I think it was reserved for lying. Deliberate obedience, well, deliberate disobedience, like defiance, um, and maybe um, violence toward others. That's what I remember. My husband is very gentle by nature. I feel like his mother conquered by love. She did not need to use the stick much. And so that was the framework that we disciplined with was beginning with reserving spanking for major infractions. I was tempted to use it in potty training, but he said, no, he doesn't think that's wise. So we use other methods there. So that's one principle that I would see as factoring in. And another As I read the Gospels and even the Old Testament too, I see how many times God begins with a question. What did God say to Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden? The first thing he said was, that's recorded. Adam, where are you? It was an invitation to disclose. Read the Gospels and see how Jesus interacted with people. Many times it was a question. I think in our parenting, even in discipline, begin with inviting disclosure. If they don't respond to invitation, then you have to probe and go farther. Um, in our, when the girls were small, I required this of them. And Hannah said, mama, it sticks in my throat. I would ask them to say, I'm sorry I was wrong. And at least some of the time also, will you forgive me? But the, I'm sorry I was wrong stuck in her throat. Does it also stick in your throat mother? Are you able to say to your child, I'm sorry, I was impatient. In this, we lead the way for how to respond to correction.
1: All right. Well, I think we'll bring this to a close here, ladies. I would like to invite you to our talk next month on December 2. There's going to be a panel of three sisters sharing on navigating the seasons, living well with our emotions. So we look forward to having you back on this platform for that event. Okay, Carol, can we ask you to just pray for us um, before we end this meeting here today?
0: Kind Father, we thank you that you have thought of us and valued us as women. Thank you for. Disclosing yourself to us in the life of Jesus Christ, who was full of grace and truth. How we long for that to characterize our mothering, our whole personhood. So we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us in our loving, in our repenting. So that we may love the things that are important to you and in that way to reflect you to our, our children, to our spouses, to our sisters and brothers in Christ. I pray that you will give these women the vision of mothering that you want them to have and teach them how to, to live that out in their context. I thank you that you are a personal God and that you walk with us Thank you, too, for those who administer this forum, and I pray that you will give them wisdom for what is needed and for each of us, Lord, we want to come home to your house at the end of the day. Thank you that we may be in your family to claim you and to be claimed by you. We look forward to that increasingly and pray, come, Lord Jesus. And until then, give us strength to love you, to love our neighbor as ourself, and to mother our daughters for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, ladies. God bless you.
0: Yes, thank you, Carol. You're welcome. All that was good you thank God for and whatever was in error, I'll take the blame. (laughs) Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work,